ready, go. Hey guys, sons of mine, I have five questions for you. I know you're going to have to think about really hard. So if you don't answer them, if you can't, you know, I'm your mom, so I understand. Okay. So number one, which recording artist by far has introduced me to more songwriters, musicians, studio musicians, producers, and singers than any other artist? What do you think? Chaz, why don't you go ahead for this one? Uh, Amy Lou Harris. Wow, I didn't think you'd get that one. Okay, number two. Jake, I'll throw this to you. All right, I'm ready. Which artist encouraged me by her own behavior to feel great about my gray hair? Oh, wow, that's got to oh, be either, I'm thinking Elvira or Amy Lou Harris. <laughs> oh, okay. you got that one too. Yes. <laughs> Number three, which artist did I actually know more about than my husband or your father ooh, when we got married? Ooh, 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 ooh. Charlie, what do you uh, think? Amy Lou Harris. <laughs> You got another one. <laughs> okay, number four. Which artist did Ingram Cecil Connor the three play with in 1971 and 1972? Oh boy. Uh, well, I, I sense a trend, so I'm going to go with uh, Emmy Lou Harris. Right. And what do you think the artist's name, his stage name, is? Oh, wait. What? What was the name again? Ingram Cecil Connor the third. Is that Chris Christopherson? Nope. Uh, wow, you actually didn't get it. I got that. no clue on this one. I didn't know it. What is it? That's Graham Parsons. Oh, really? Graham. Oh. Good old Grammy. Yes. Okay. Poor Number Grammy. Number five, the last one. Which artist, if I had had a daughter, would she have been named after? Oh, my goodness. Well, this is, <laughs> this is, just, this is just sad, but I think... Uh, I think we're going to go with uh, Linda Ronstadt. Emmy Lou Harris. <laughs> oh, God. Emmy Lou Harris. <laughs> there you go. Welcome to everyone's favorite show, Louder Than Sound. Our first and only question for the contestants is... What's louder than sound? Theoretical noise particulates from the 15th dimension? What's louder than sound? Uh, nothing, Alex, because of course this is a theoretical question. What's louder than sound? What is two brothers, who are mostly similar, but sometimes dissimilar taste in music, asking each other to listen to and absorb some of their favorite music albums based on idiosyncratic themes that they likewise force each other to consider? That's louder than sound. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Louder Than Sound, the podcast where two brothers uh, discuss some of their favorite music albums uh, surrounding a theme that they pick for one another. I'm Jake, and with me today is Charlie. Say hello, hello. Charlie. Hello. Hey, hey. And we have a very special episode. A woman who needs no introduction to us, but a woman who may need introduction to you, podcast audience. With us today to drive this sweet podcast is our mother, Nancy E. Beck. Hello, yeah. Yay. Yeah. <laughs> Yay. A guest host for us today. And uh, what are we talking about today, Charlie? Well, I'd love to tell you. Uh... As Jake said, we have uh, themes for each of our episodes, and this is kind of intended to help us get into unexpected corners of our respective vast record collections. 
And in this case, our theme for this, we're starting a new theme this week, and that theme is gateway albums. And by gateway albums, we mean albums that you discovered, that you loved, and that led you into a lot of other music that maybe you wouldn't have found otherwise. So maybe it was people that worked with the artist in question, or it opened up a certain new genre for you, mm. or you found people that were, were big influences on this, or they're influenced by this, or something like that. But an album that just kind of broke things open for you musically and led you to new and exciting places. And we're very excited to have our mother, Nancy, with us today to talk about an album that she... Uh, it was a good gateway album for her and very uh, important for her. And that album is Emmylou Harris's Luxury Liner from 1976. So I'm going to hand things over to our wonderful mother. Take it, Mom. All right. good, to, So good to be with you guys. So <laughs> Luxury Liner came to mind to me immediately when I was asked this question. It was just a no-brainer. So the background for me up to that point was in 1976 and... That's when it was recorded, released in 77. Um, I was only, you know, this 20, 21-year-old. I was young and not very sophisticated with musical influence in my life up to that point. You know, my parents, we had music on in our home, but it was like Lawrence Welk and things like that. And I did have an older sister who could have been helpful in those regards, but she was listening to the Smothers Brothers and Roger Wicker. <laughs> I was wondering if it was... I was wondering which sister we were talking about, but now I know. Right. But uh, she did. Nailed but it. she did introduce me to the Nitty Gritty Dirt Band. So oh, she okay. did? Linda did? Right. Yes, Linda did. Well, what about the... She She was into the Beatles. That that was something, right? Yes, right, yes. Um, yes, she was. We, we did have the Beatles growing up, um, but I think it was on a different level for her. You know, it was more of the, you know, the crush phases right. than the actual mm-hmm. importance of any music. The was she a John or a Paul? She was a John. Uh, you know, I don't think no, she, she was. was like, she was like a Ringo or something. Well, I don't think, I don't remember. Nobody's a Ringo. You know, um, Mickey was, if anyone, Mickey was, if anyone was, it would have been Linda. Yeah, I don't, I yeah. just remember her yeah. as a group. I was Paul and Vicky was John, for okay. sure. Okay. So, I don't know It could have been them. George. I could see that too. Yeah. Who knows? So, um, you know, we I did get a little help from Vicky after she went to college, you know, that first year, because okay. that really does open up in our little northwestern Wisconsin yeah. habitat up here to get out really does help a little bit. So I feel like this when I was thinking about this, that looking back, this is so long ago when I started thinking about how did we find music way back mm. then. <laughs> and of course, it is like 50 years ago, so we're not talking about a short amount of time. But we listened to a lot more radio. There were lots of pop stations. Um, actually, newspaper articles would run music stuff every week. Ed Sullivan show, you know, we watched shows like that. You guys mentioned Dinah Shore before. Mm-hmm. Partridge Family, you know, Jimmy Dean, talk shows, you know, we watched those as families together, and they always had a 15-minute segment Mm. designated to music, and so some of it was the Lawrence Welk type, but some of it was like (laughs) Amy Lou Harris or something. Uh, So, you know, we got to know, I feel like as a family, you know, my parents would hear more about emerging artists than what say that you guys did with us we didn't have those kinds of shows to watch where Mm -hmm. you just sat around and watched these variety shows together 
Um, and then, of course, we had the album covers to sit and just meditate on. And <laughs> we did that a lot. And so you really got to know the singers and the lyrics. And I do miss that piece of mm-hmm. sitting there with an album cover on a rainy afternoon. And now even CD cases, you know, are pretty much gone. So I yeah. think it's hard you... to find that info. Mom, do you think that that is part of the current like resurgence of vinyl? Do you think that kind of feeling? Yes, does? for yeah. sure. Yeah, I think I that kind of nostalgia even, I mean, yeah. for some people, it's nostalgia for a time they weren't, you know, old enough to be aware of, but... And even I can appreciate what vinyl sounds like. You know, it's those imperfections and stuff mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. that are there that CDs were able to, you know, all this digital stuff can take care of that. So there, and there was something very much, you know, I made that a note to myself, you know, side A and side B mm-hmm. can be like two albums. And so mm-hmm. I would, you always would know where the break was. Mm-hmm. It was grouped together. It would be... You know, there'd be some continuity there, but you could, when you listen to something, you were ready to, mm-hmm. oh, I got to get up and turn it over. So there was that mm-hmm. sort of thing, too. Mm-hmm. So I come to really to... appreciate the side breaks, even when listening to digital music. Uh-huh. Like even listening to Luxury Liner here, I, I, I made a point of, like, taking a break, a short break between the sides. Okay. And I try okay. to do that with older music, because it is, a lot of it's really built around that side Absolutely. Break. Yes, it is. Charlie, did you, like, get up out of your chair and go pretend to turn the record over and, <laughs> and come back? Uh-huh. <laughs> no, it was more that I went for two short walks, and one of them long enough for the first side, and then a couple days later, oh. I went for a walk long enough for the second side. Oh, well then. Okay. okay. I know. That's what I did. Yeah. Okay. Back to my little bit of history, because here I'm, you know, I'm going back. This was, I was deep into my cowgirl phase in 1970 to 1975. Yeah, still ongoing, I'd say. And, of course, cowgirls and cowboys listen to country music. Well, that's that's just what you did. That's all you can do. But I could not relate to, like, the Conway Twitty, Hee Haw, Mm -hmm. Loretta Lynn. That just wasn't catching me. So I was just 18, you know, when I met your father. And again, I think that um, she was probably the only artist I knew a little bit more about than dad. Um, Because I bought that Luxury Liner was the first album of hers that I bought. He had had her debut album, but I think that was because, I mean, yes, he clearly enjoyed it. But I think that was one of those artists that you're supposed to have that Right. Okay. Well, I think um, even those years he was building, you know, he was actually building a, you know, a music library. And there were certain albums that you had while you were building. And I'm sure this Emmy Lou would have been one that he heard about from from people in college because him being a year older, he was at Rippin for that year before I knew him. So, yeah. And uh, I think uh, her previous album before this was called Elite Hotel. And that right. was literally a number one hit. Like she had, yes. she was big yeah. then. So I suppose, yeah, yeah, exactly. I suppose you would have known, right. known who she was, you know. Right. But, you know, then in this summer, though, you know, plus released in 77, the other thing that's tied very closely to me is we were planning our wedding in 77. Mm. So this album and especially Say La Vie, you know, this teenage wedding. Yeah. The old folks know, wished them well. Like, <laughs> I know. Was, you weren't exactly teenagers, but yes. Uh, exactly, but we were pretty close, close to that. <laughs> uh, but I was really relating to it. I'm just trying to get how, you know, this this particular 
album took out with with me, mm-hmm. you know, in particular. So, and again, getting back to you know, Dad taught me so much more about music, and then being we were young, we would listen to different things together. Um, and again, he was a guy. I don't know how he found out about music in high school because he wouldn't have had any more exposure than I did. I mean, that just wasn't there. We, it just wasn't happening. But somehow, you know, he he would know about certain artists, and he started buying LPs even before he had a turntable and speakers. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's because just in he case. Because he knew that he needed to have a really good stereo system, so you aren't just going to go buy some cheap thing. He was he was going to start also building his turntable and stylus, and and then soon get into building his own speakers. So yeah, um, so we listened to a lot of different music, and with you guys growing up, I think we had a lot of different genres in the house, and you did. Did draw the line at rap. We could never, <laughs> never do that one. I do remember you being nervous about our appreciation of MC Hammer. In the, Absolutely, uh, that 90s. was <laughs> right. bad influence. <laughs> oh, so, oh, Hammer, don't hurt him. I know. <laughs> Come on, Hammer, don't, exactly. don't hurt him. Don't yeah. Hurt him. Oh, yeah, that's a funny one. So, getting back to Luxury Liner, however, uh-huh. shall we? The release of this was highly anticipated after her first two albums. Pieces of the Sky is considered her debut, even though she had one um, previous album that was really, you know, the songs aren't great, very low production. Mm. Um, so, Pieces of the Sky is considered her. Um, her debut and it was at the time the most expensive country album ever produced pieces of the sky was pieces of the sky was because they accumulated all these artists just uh, stacked them and then elite (laughs) hotel was the second one and both of them would be million dollar you know or number one hits not more than million dollar but number one hits so unusual for country albums at the time Pieces of the Sky and Elite Hotel was largely, which country albums were largely revolved around a hit single, but her albums borrowed their approach from the rock market, which was album oriented. So that was a big change for country, which nice. helped that helped appeal to the crossover for her. That yeah. Those okay. who normally disapproved of the country markets, then she pulled towards this crossover single pop single market so she was instrumental in that change because she disagreed with how country music was being handled at the time and she still has been a um critical of the way musicians are brought up and that sort of thing um so at the time this was really anticipated luxury liner was because of these first two albums. And, and then these albums were pretty close together. You know, Pieces of the Sky and Elite Hotel and Luxury Liner were all, I think, released within two years. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so, as many critics stated and listeners agreed, in Luxury Liner, Emmy Lou, because of course I'm on a first name basis, <laughs> um, yes. she provided the bridge that many needed to explore further and appreciate a different kind of country music. She provided an introduction to many new artists and, and whole aspects of the record industry to me and many others. And I wasn't the only one because 
Luxury Liner has whole, no number one hits right. on it, okay. but it was her highest selling album until she did her trio album with Linda Ronstadt and Dolly Parton in yeah. 1987. Okay. So, um, so some of the people, you know, again, you got to think back. I was only 20 years old and not sophisticated, but I didn't know who uh, these are some of the songwriters and musicians that were on Luxury Liner that that made me want to go and listen to some of their stuff more. You know, Graham Parsons was one, Towns Van Zandt. Mm-hmm. Rodney Crowell was young. Um, yeah. Susanna Clark, you know, some of these are older artists, but I'd never heard of them. The Leuven Brothers, mm-hmm. you know, one of the Carters. Um, you know, Johnny Mullins. The, these people, again, that was all, because I could sit there and look at the liner notes, you just started soaking up this stuff. Mm-hmm. And then the other part of it was the personnel that she would gather for these albums was just unheard of at the time. You know, Brian Ahern, which I'll talk a little bit more about later because he was her husband. During oh, didn't okay. know that. Um, but Rodney Crowell was on there, Hank DeVito, um, Pedal Steel, em- Emery Gordon Jr., you know, Bass, Gordy Jr., Glenn Harden. Nicolette Larson, who would become one of Dad and my favorite um, singers later on, but she was brand new. Dolly Parton was on this. Yeah. Her Patterson, I did not know Dolly Parton was on it. Uh, Ricky Skaggs. Yeah. I mean, they, these were people that even Ricky Skaggs I had not heard of, even though she yeah, that was. It's pretty early for him. It, well, it was, but he was this, um, you know, protege. He was on the stage since he was like three years old or right. something. So, right. but even. Emmy Lou was able to introduce him to a whole new world of people because of her connection with him. So I, I, have, a, uh, I, so I have a question. I have a question. Unless you're going to talk about it later, um, I read something really briefly about how the musicians, at least some of them on this album in particular, went on to form her famous Hot Band. They called themselves right. the Hot Band. Right. So is that is that a majority of the musicians that you just named, or is it just a few of them that ended up being um, in the I band? I think it's just the few, because, again, I didn't delve into into later, um, because they had a, at least one or two of the really um, outstanding musicians were also playing in Elvis Presley's band at the time. Mm. Oh, so interesting. She, mm-hmm. she had to work around Elvis's schedule, of course. Well, to get <laughs> well pretty soon she he did. Elvis, right. but she still wasn't Elvis. No. Exactly. He wouldn't be so, around for much longer as it was. Yeah. Um, I'd have to compare, but yes, she was starting to build, you know, even with Pieces of the Sky, she was starting to build these really... and. And she got such a reputation for um, encouraging new artists and then being so great to work with. And she always has collaborated and given everybody their their rightful, uh, you know, honor they deserve They're for playing. She, she was, it was not always about her, you know, even though they were playing for her. So um, she did accumulate a lot of good people. Just a class act that Emily Harris. Well, act. it is, you know. I try to, um, and again, try to keep me not talking too much about that. But you know, you try. I couldn't even hardly dig any dirt about her. <laughs> right. <at all. laughs> and she's had a long career. Right. You think something uh-huh. would have surfaced, but there really is not any snarky comments about her or anything that I could find. So there, okay. it's just always that she's been even her and Graham Parsons did not, not have a physical affair they were 
right. he was married to somebody else at the time, and that never happened even during that time. I mean, so, uh, yeah, she's been quite a gracious. Wow. Friend. And one of the other things that um, that I remember, you know, if you guys remember how I walked all over town with my Walkman in the late <laughs> 80s and 90s, and, <laughs> and Dad would often record playlists for me. Oh, that's nice. <laughs> and um, and so he was wanting me again up to that point, which again not all of her albums had come out certainly by then, but he asked me to to make a list. What Emmy Lou songs would I want on a playlist to walk to? And I ended up stating like the whole track listing of Luxury <laughs> Boom. And he said, "Oh, you might, I might as well just record the whole <laughs> album." And it's like, yeah. That's pretty much the album is one thing to me. Yeah. You know, listening to me, it's all that there are any favorite songs. It's just one of those albums that just really came across together. And again, I'm not the only because of how it was, how popular it was. So I did find from a magazine article by Adam Sweeting in 2004, he described this album, Emmy Lou was the figurehead of a new kind of country music, mixing an informed traditionalism with a free-ranging imaginative scope. Her deceased mentor, Graham Parsons, was surely have been proud. She is highly respected for her clean, pure voice, impeccable choice of material, and gift for picking the right musicians. So, you know, that's... That's what what it got on that, and I have a a few more just little tidbits that I came up. Some history of the album. I mentioned it was produced by Brian Ahern, and they were married at the time. Um, they were married from seventy seven to eighty four. They've had one daughter together, but he was assigned to her uh, for Pieces of the Sky when she signed with Reprise Records. So okay. he. They were they were um, joined together. That's how they met. Hired together, right? And mm. they were, but they were hired. Their talents were hired together, and they would go on to do eleven albums together. Wow! So oh this is God. their yeah. Only <laughs> this is their third album, "Pieces of the Sky in Elite Hotel." Mm. So that's with them. And then I couldn't find how many copies um, Luxury Liner sold, but Emmy Lou is no slouch. You know, she's got 75 million albums sold all for her, wow. for her collection. <laughs> and that's that not, I know, and that's not even considering all the collaborative efforts right, that's, right. Mm -hmm. that she's on. You can't even trace them all because often she did not uh, request to be on any of the liner notes or anything either. She just did it anonymously. Not that her voice is anonymous, but. She did things without getting credit. Class so, acts. Yeah. Luxury Liner is considered her commercial apex and remains one of her definitive records. It is said uh, to, quote, unquote, illustrate a continuity and artistic merit to country music often overlooked at the time. Uh, but because of its lack of original tunes, she became known kind of as a cover artist. Right. And she she has fought that for a long time. She is a very good songwriter herself, but normally on her albums, a few of them have been all her own music. But at this time, she, you know, she would go on to only maybe two songs, an album that would be her own composition. Um, she okay. was highly influenced by Grand Parsons, who was instrumental in developing a new genre of music called cosmic american music there it is yeah it's a blend of country rhythm and blues soul folk and rock 
And he, of course, was with groups like the Birds and the Flying Burrito Brothers. They only played together a short time, but they're forever linked with their history. And she does cite him as a huge influence for her. And as part of his legacy, she wants to encourage that the roots of the country, because that's what he was trying to do, was blend all of that. He was really instrumental in that. So he's that another tragic, you know, he died in 1973 at age 26. Wow. Yeah. Too uh, soon. And, yeah, and he was troubled before then. Yeah. That wasn't just an, uh, and really, I mean, they considered an accidental, but he was kind of your troubled guy. Went to Harvard, you know, he was <laughs> yeah, a smart guy. Harvard mm-hmm. and... So, and just one last thing, and then we'll turn it over to scoring. In a later interview that I found, Emmy Lou herself said how one of her least favorite and one of her most favorite songs come from Luxury Liner. She matured past singing C'est La Vie, because it's Aww. about, right, a singing at today's wedding. She just didn't want to do that anymore, so sure. she doesn't conclude that any longer on any of her playlists. But Poncho and Lefty is a song she never tires of singing, and that's one of her favorite songs ever. Cheers. It's ever, I love that song. Cheers. <clears throat> Cheers to yeah. Poncho and Lefty. Exactly. <laughs> okay, so now, Jake, I'm going to throw it over to you, All right. and we're going to get some impressions. All right, so we'll get some impressions. So I just want to say that uh, my initial experience with Emmy Lou Harris is obviously through you and Dad, um, and I, I will admit to identifying her more with Dad growing up. Um, then with you, this is nice to hear um, some of your person, you know, personality um, thrown in here about her because it was kind of like, it was kind of like dad's, you know, spirit animal was Emmy mm-hmm. Harris um, yeah. growing up. Um, and I do love her now, um, but the truth is I wasn't a very big country music fan growing up, um, or at least I didn't think so at the time. Um, when I came of age in the early 90s, musically, country was a dirty word. <laughs> you know, and, and by then, the popular country hit, it was just pop music. It wasn't, it didn't have anything to do with country music. It was just people playing pop music with, like, twangy voices, basically, like Shania, right. Twa- Southern, Shania Twain Southern and stuff acc- like that. Southern accents and some slide guitars in the background. Yeah, maybe. You might get a slide guitar. Um, but looking back now, um, country uh, music was informing a lot of my personal musical choices. Um, I loved the Jayhawks growing up. They're an alt-country band. Uh, Bob Dylan had a lot of country in him. Um, to a ton of the classic rock I loved, the Birds, you mentioned them, Mom, the Flying Burrito Brothers, um, and then onwards as an adult, you know, getting into bands like Wilco and a lot of the alternative country bands owed a huge debt to, you know, the 70s country music um, from Emmy Lou and others. Um, you know, I can't hear a lot of it in some of my other great music loves, like grunge and alternative rock. I think they they pretty much did away with the country influence altogether, uh, probably on purpose. Uh, but I think it informs so much of my taste these days that it's one of the dominant genres in my musical life. Um, and then going backwards, it shares a clear through line to bluegrass, gospel, the blues, Appalachian music, all that stuff, um, which is not only, you know, my favorite types of music often, but also like the backbone of America's popular music now. So this album, Luxury Liner specifically, is not my absolute favorite Emmy Lou. Uh, mine is Roses in the Snow. That's from 1980, I want to say. Um, and then second place for me is 1995's Wrecking Ball, which was kind of a uh, her comeback album um, with Daniel Lanois producing. Um, but Luxury Liner Daniel is... Daniel Lanois, he's just like the comeback king. He is, he's that's what he does. He's a comeback 
and he yep. comes him back. That's right. He gets him back. <laughs> comes comes him right back. That's right. He did it. He did it for several people. Um, love that album. Um, and uh, but Luxury Liner is really good and uh, was a was a deserved kind of high point for for Emmy Lou, I think, commercially. Um, you talked about this a little bit, Ma, but um, I think it's really interesting that uh, she was and is not much of a celebrated songwriter on her own. Um, by the time she gained some fame, it was pretty passe for a major artist not to write their own stuff. Right. Um, you know, Bob Dylan had a lot to do with that, um, and a lot of others, too, um, uh, in terms of, like, you weren't cool if you couldn't write your own music or something. Well, that's an, it's an interesting transition that's happened over the last you know, 50, 60 years, yeah. you know, in the, the 50s, still, most, most people didn't write their own stuff in the fifties. No, you know, almost you nobody. The, you had the jazz singers and, and even people like Elvis, like still sing a lot of other people's music. Right. right. Like, well, he, yeah. You could be a singer. You could just, you right. could be a right. really respected singer. You think of, like Frank Sinatra. Did Frank Sinatra write right. any music? I mean, no. if he did, no. that's not what you know him for, you know? No. Exactly. Right. And a lot of the jazz singers are like that. But then this transition happened. And yeah, Dylan was a humongous part of that. And the Beatles are a big part of that. And that's, that transition happened in the 60s. And now if you come across an artist who does not write their own music, that right. like I can't think of anybody. Yeah, exactly. No, not really. I can yeah. think of a young, unless unless they're an older, older legacy act that's still going. But otherwise, right. everybody writes right. their own music. You have to. Yep. Yeah, you kind of have to. Um, but, I, but I think she's a bit of a throwback in, in terms of how well she can elevate another musician's material mm -hmm. and how she built her career on interpreting other people's songs right. that would not have normally been, um, normally been heard. Um, I, I read an interview with uh, Jillian Welch uh, because her song Orphan Girl was featured on Wrecking Ball right. um, from 1995. Um, and she said it was like, oh my, you know, Emmy Lou Harris wants to sing one of my songs. This is mm -hmm. incredible. But, but Emmy Lou herself, she had, she had a, that's a talent. That's a skill right. to pick right. out a, an obscure song, not just, you know, say La Vie was a hit. So that's, that's right. something that right. um, she has a very spirited version Chuck of Gary. that. It's, it's very inspired, but it's not like cherry picking these songs from unknown artists, unknown songwriters and um, putting them on one of her commercially viable albums. Like that's, I think that's a, I think that's a pretty cool skill. And she's one of the best. Right. Um, so um, I have a thing here about her soulmate, you know, her musical soulmate with Graham Parsons. Um, her her cover of She on this album mm -hmm. is yep. just fan. It's just fantastic. It just yep. makes you want to cry a little bit in your beer. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the inspired version of Say La Vie and then a few others, most notably Poncho and Lefty, which I was very surprised to learn was the very first cover of the song from Thomas yes. Van Zandt. right. He had and done she it. wasn't made. She didn't make it famous. It was Willie Nelson later, and right. It was the Highwaymen that did that later. Yeah. Um, but now that's his most well-known song, Towns Van Zandt, mm -hmm. by far. Um, so uh, my only complaint with the album <laughs> Luxury Liner is that, um, to my ears, there's just a little bit too "quote unquote" shiny or slick at times. Oh, a little, okay. A little too much studio wizardry for me, you know. Um, Mostly on some of the faster tracks. There was some pop country grease that I think was kind of thrown on there in the studio. Um, I think it's a bit more than a nitpick for me for this one. Um, I like it better when Emmy Lou is allowed to have a more natural approach in the room, um, especially on her ballads. Um, but some of them are kind of slathered in this kind of studio sloppiness. Um, they lose their effectiveness for me just a little. Um, her voice, no one said it's great yet. <laughs> She's a pretty good singer. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> well mentioned. You should, she yeah, did a uh, okay. Yeah, 
about her being this clear, what did she say, clear something, Lori's clear, pure voice. It is a very, exactly. yeah, it's like yeah. described clean, as... In, yeah, clean, pure clean, voice. Clean, yeah. pure, yes, yep. crystalline, I've heard it described as. Crystalline. Uh, right. <laughs> um, so in closing, I bet this run of her albums, including Luxury Liner, was actually a really big influence on me and my music taste going forward. I just didn't know it at the time. This is a good album, and it's got what I like to call a good batting average. The original track list was like 7 out of 10 really good ones for me. So um, if you throw out the song, You're Supposed to Be Feeling Good, and the following track, mm-hmm. I'll Be Your San Antonio Rose, which I think are kind of the, kind of the schlockiest ones. And then yep. there's there's a couple bonus tracks from the reissue, um, right? From a few years ago that was ri- that are really good. So if, if you kind of replace those, you've got yourself like a humdinger. Um, so Ma, you <laughs> didn't you didn't uh, you didn't say to the audience what you thought I would score this album out of a possible exactly. That's what I was thinking. Five. So we so, go from minus five to plus five. Yeah. Right? Yep. Yep. Go okay. Ahead. I would say for Jake, I'm going to say a three. Okay. I gave it a two point five. So okay. close, close, yeah, real close, real yeah. close. But if you had, if you, if you put those reissue tracks on there and get rid of those two that I mentioned, it'd, it'd be like a, a 3.5 or a four for sure. Cause it's, it's okay. really good. Yeah. And my standout okay. tracks, um, I already mentioned them, but, uh, Poncho and Lefty for me is the, the major standout track, but Hello Stranger is mm-hmm. incredible. Yeah. I listened to that a, a several times and then she, yeah. the Graham Parsons track. So I'm going right. to throw it over to Charlie so he can tell All us right. it's probably very different. So I always, I, the thing is, I'm, I'm the black sheep of the family when it comes to Emmylou Harris. (laughs) Oh, boo. Like I just, I mean, (laughs) Emmylou Harris is like an institution in our family. And it's, it's, it's not about what I think of her musical quality or her as a, it's just personal preference. I'm just not, I find less personal appeal to country music and that more, that whole aesthetic, that whole side of music and, uh, listeners of, our previous podcast, uh, Boy versus Dylan, like Jake, Jake is much more on that side of things is much more of the acoustic, much more of that. And I've always been more, had more interest in more experimental music, more electronic music, more going in weird directions type music. And that's not what this is. And so I am not against this existing, but I personally <laughs> don't get a lot out of it. And I feel bad about it. You don't have to feel bad. No, like, no, it just sounds so great. Like just listening to you, you know how much this is meant to you, and it just didn't. I was I, I was interested listening to this that it didn't sound familiar to me. We listened to so much Emmylou Harris growing up, but this when yeah. this album didn't sound. No, none of the tracks. I mean, yeah. except for, I, I already know the song "Sail of V," but that was the only song I really knew ahead of time. But mm-hmm. I know right. the Chuck Berry version. Well, see, I think that's because this was my, you know, one of my top favorites, but not. For dad, you know, okay, so, okay, you know, right. They probably played others, right. and of course, she was, she was putting out albums like every year, couple right. years. So okay. we were, you know, we probably listened to newer ones. Yeah. We were listening to new stuff too. But, yeah, yeah. So I was, I was, I mean, this is you know, full blown country, no question about it. This isn't a folk country, or you know, it's nothing. It's it's definitely square in the country. I was interested in, in what's going on musically because it's she's obviously got a big band going. There's like a lot of a lot going on. Right. I was listening to this, you know, trying to get like, what, what does this feel like? What makes country music sound country? As I was trying to think about it, more than just, you know, the instrumentation, but I was interested. It was anchored by these really uh, simple bass and drum lines. This is really like, it's like a really full bass sound. But it's, it's, it's really just like, boom, 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 like that up and down, you know, kind of bass. And then the, um, the, the drums are off are usually on the off beats. And so it's almost like an oompa. It's like a, a barge. It's like boom, 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 
boom, which I thought was interesting to think of that as like being the core of a country song. Hmm. But then on top of it, there's all these different layers of instrumentation. There's acoustic and electric guitars. There's fiddles. There's piano, backing vocals, mandolins, steel guitars, slide guitars. There's just tons going on all over here. And I feel like if in the wrong hands, that could just be a cacophony because there's a lot of different like counter melodies and different things going on in all this other instrumentation. But then we got Emmy Lou like right in the smack dab center of it. And she just like rules the whole show. And yeah, her voice is incredible. It really is. Um, she's just clear. She's expressive. She's emotive. She's a really strong presence on the album. And she like binds us all together. in these, these um, arrangements that I feel like, again, might not have worked in other people's hands. I'm sure it didn't work in other people's hands, but it's a really tight band. They're all working together. Like, so I can appreciate all of that. Um, my standout songs, I liked the song Luxury Liner, which is the first one on there. It's just kind of a rocker, just kick things off. I had down She as another song that I nice. liked more than others. Um, but I just, you know, it's kind of admit it's an, and it's always hard to rate albums because I can listen to this and go, like, this is a good album. But for me, it's not very appealing. I don't, I don't get out of it. I'm not going to listen to this again on my own. So, with not all that in mind, your mom, mother. I know, I, know I, just, I listened to it twice for you, all the way through. And I would listen to it again for you, Bob. So wow, wow. For you. For That's you. love. That's love right there. That's love. Right. So, yeah. Mom, what would yeah. you, what do you think I'm going to rate this at? What do you, well, and this was even before I heard, you know, what you just said. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, you know, that's not um, unexpected to me, what you said. So, I would say a one. Okay. I had it down as a zero. It's just okay. like as a neutral, like, again, yeah. I can recognize this is a good album, but for me personally, it just doesn't do it for me. It just doesn't yeah. do it for me. So yeah. that's what I suspect. There you go. Yeah. There, there you go. Sorry. Okay. Sorry. So Ma, can we, I still, can I still do Thanksgiving with you next I, year? Right. No, there's a lot of years I wouldn't be able to. It's a good thing I gave you grandkids or yeah, yeah. you'd be out. You'd be, be dis- disowned. Disowned. <laughs> So, Ma, we're, pre- we're pretty well, interested you know to hear what you think. I, excuse me, how I feel it is. So, of course, I'm up there probably at a five. You know, okay. I don't know if I could pick mm-hmm. out another album that oh. I liked any better in my time. But, again, as you know, Jake, music really connects you with a time and a place. Mm-hmm. Yes, it does. Lots of other things. So that's right. what's involved here is a very personal connection as well. And yeah. I understand that. But the album was influential at its time for Mm-hmm. Lots and lots of people. Yeah, so. she she crossed over in a way that not right. yeah. not a lot of people. Like, she paved the way that. even for you know Willie Nelson and Christopherson and you know all those exactly. all those ones. I don't know that it would have been quite as if country would have been you know less than a dirty word unless unless she broke through. So mm-hmm. exactly commercially um, and you know and I and I do want to say you know going back and listening to it because I've listened to her you know the different changes in her choices and the way her voice sounds this also she sounds so young and Mm -hmm. excited on on this one she you know her voice and energy is different Mm. a little less mature you know if you say it's and sometimes too polished but i also hear her not quite as polished in her own singing yeah and there is a brightness or something to her singing that can only come with being at kind of the start of your career rather yeah. than later. Sure. So, uh, yeah, and just to be clear, I don't, I don't, I don't ever have an issue with her voice. I, I think it was more yeah. some of the instrumentation right. and the, the right. studio production on that was really, was right. really yeah. I, I know what you're talking about, Jake. There were a couple songs yeah. where it sounded, it sounded just very 
mid seventies all of a sudden. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And it wasn't all of them. A lot of them sounded much no, more no, no. But then they just like no. come in there and yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it's stuff. it's like they can't help it. They're trying to be popular, so you know that right. you, you got to do and that remember, stuff. You know, and Brian Ahern was was big for Linda Ronstead, and so oh okay, we were, I didn't you know, know that. Um, oh yeah, and so where that production level I think is coming from is, mm-hmm. uh, you know, he was doing. I mean, it's you know, probably he was helping a lot of you know these women singers at the time, right? Being more taken more seriously and more more production and stuff. So that was yeah. kind of his um, really strength. But he is a good musician in his own right, which oh, I sure. didn't realize. Yeah, well, Brian it, so. as charming as Emmy Lou and Linda Ronstadt and all and all the singers were, like that's really what it takes to cross over is that is that is that pop production, you know, without, yeah. but also right. keeping the keeping that kind of heart and soul on it. Right, exactly. So there we have it. There good it is. Discussion. <laughs> Luxury liner. Very yeah. good. And I do have to harken back to versus Dylan for just one more oh. little quick anecdote here because i did run across an emmy lou and bob dylan story that i knew you guys would appreciate so here goes i'm gonna need jake's help for this one i'm ready i'm ready okay so emmy lou does consider bob dylan as a main musical influence for her um you know she began to study music and learn his songs on the guitar that was one of the first ways that she started music because she was going to be an actress mm. and that did not so she started college wanting to be an actress and then became into singing was much more natural for her but so she quit college i think only after a year but she was performing in folk songs in greenwich village mm. coffee houses during the 60s during that whole folk music boom and so she actually listened and would absorb music from dylan in person and I could not find the article or the the interview that I took that from, but she had said, you know, she put it so, um, you know, with such so tactfully about it that you have talked about Jake how he can bounce around with his music and he can't. You know, other musicians have a hard time following him. Yes. So so she had a statement in there about that, but she twisted it to I learned so much by being inventive and she turned around into a very way to go very nice Emmy Lou very nice Dylan was a big influence on her um so and then I did realize that that she had performed she was asked to sing on Bob Dylan's Desire album from 1976 right this is um from another article um, from 2008 that she was interviewed for. And the interviewer asked her, what's been your strangest celebrity encounter? (laughs) This is is Emmy Lewis' answer. When I got asked to sing on Bob Dylan's Desire record, I thought he was asking for me specifically, but he just wanted a girl to sing harmony with. (laughs) I I didn't have time to think of it too much because I showed up at the studio and we just started working. I guess that was a little strange. I kind of realized that he had just said to his producer, what do you think he said? Uh, what's her name? What's her name? Who, who is that? Hey, nice voice. No. Who is that? No, he just said, get, get me a girl singer. <laughs> get me a girl <laughs> singer. <laughs> and Emmy Lou said she still thought, well, it's still pretty cool. 
Yeah. Well, I, I will say, I will say, I think it's, I think it's true. Um, um, based on that anecdote, he wanted her to come. All the, all the musicians that did the album were supposed to come on this very famous Rolling Thunder review tour. Yeah. And he did mm-hmm. ask her to come along, um, but I, from what I read, she thought she thought they were too crazy. They were drinking and carousing and yeah. doing all kinds of stuff. And so I think that was a great choice because I don't think she would have fit in <laughs> with all the with no. all the insanity that went right. on. So and she, you know, she has different interviews and stuff. She's even with Graham Parsons. You know, she was so young, but she was the run one trying to hold right. that whole group together. Yeah, and, right. And. You know, and there she was hardly knowing what she was doing, but she's the only one who wanted to practice, or it right. was just <laughs> such chaos because everybody was such yeah. a mess. And the Flying Burrito Brothers were like an embarrassment in concert. Yeah. They could not keep yeah. it together, and she right. didn't want to be part of that at all. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So there we have it. There's my stroll down memory lane. Well, thank you for being here, Mother. It's been an immense pleasure, as it always is. Absolutely. Thanks for coming on the show here, Bob. It's been great. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Um, and so next time, me and Charlie, Sans, Sans, our mother, are going to be doing another podcast series. Um, uh, although we're going to keep the same theme, which is gateway albums, music that kind of leads us to other kinds of music or surprises us with with paths that leads us down. So um, I'm going to be taking the reins next time, and we're going to be doing Muddy Mississippi Waters Live from, I believe, the late 70s. I don't have the year here. Maybe that'll be part of the research for next time, Shaz. <laughs> Figuring out what year you're there. Yeah, I mean, you'd think it would say they're right on good. the top, but it does that's not, good. and that's, ter- <laughs> that's terrible. Not my fault, I want to say. All so, right, well, with that, thank you, and we'll see you next time on Louder Than Sound. Bye, all.